Well, here we are. Good evening and welcome to the All Portable Discussion Zone. It's a bi-weekly live stream all about amateur radio portable ops. My name is Charlie and the call sign is November Juliet 7 Victor. With me this evening are the show's two co-hosts, Dan, KC7MSU, and Brian, W7JET. And I'm also pleased to introduce you to tonight's guest, Malin, VE6VID. Malin is Alberta's uh, only the second goat in uh, Alberta and the fourth in Canada overall, which is pretty cool. So uh, he just achieved that last month. So we'll get back over to him in a minute. Of course, uh, as always, we have the regular characters there in the chat room. Thank you for being with us. Make sure you put some comments in there. If you have any questions for Malin or for us, go ahead and throw those in there and we'll try to address them as we go along through this evening. We are happy you could join us this evening. And so uh, I think we have a great uh, lineup with uh, Malin and a few other uh, topics. So uh, with that, let's do what we always do. Let's go around the, go around the uh, squares here and, and see if we can uh, see what's been going on the last few weeks. Uh, let's start with uh, Dan. Okay. Uh, this past weekend, uh... Matter of fact, I just got back a couple hours ago from uh, Flagstaff. We were up there enjoying the Valentine's Day weekend and uh, got to drive around out on some of the major roads to see if any of the forest roads were open and see uh, how much snow there really was out on the peaks. Uh, hoping to get out maybe in the next week or two weeks to up to Flag again and do a peak up that way. So good scouting trip. Got a little bit of snow and uh, it was nice and cool up there. So it was a nice change of pace from the Valley of the Sun here. Okay, cool. And then now let's go to Brian because we can hear him too now. Okay. Hey, Charlie. So uh, let's see. We had the uh, the epic climb of uh, Kentuck Mountain last weekend. My feet still hurt. Sunburn has kind of <laughs> faded out a little bit, but it was a good time. Logs, Everything's in the log and uh, gotten a lot of compliments on the pictures from that activation, posting it, and as well as the video. Um, so it was, it was a good time had by all. And really since then, I've just been uh, kind of working on some uh, – some uh, pro shack projects and uh, chasing uh, top band DX on 160. That's about it. Cool. And then for me, I've been I, like like Brian mentioned, we did that uh, activation of Kentuck, which woo, it was a tough one, man. If you didn't see that video, man, there was some ridge lines we had to. It was like really narrow and drops off on both sides, and not to mention it was just every step where there was at least five rocks underneath our feet that uh, we were had. It's like roller skates all the way up and all the way back. So it was fun. Um, and then we had a. a Pretty good li uh, live stream last week on the round table uh, on uh, soda round table thing. It was pretty good. And uh, I'm planning on doing, oh, I, I did an activation last, uh, just yesterday as well, uh, up on Scarlet. Actually, I took somebody up to do an activation. I actually didn't get on the air, but that video is premiering tomorrow, and that one will be a good one too. So, Malin, what have you been up to? Oh, I've been just sort of hiding out from the cold weather. We're in a bit of a, uh, cold slump today was a high of minus 23 celsius so it's you know hiding from the cold playing with antennas trying to come up with uh, something new to build <laughs> a high I, of uh, minus 20 wow <laughs> I, I i plan on getting out this coming weekend the temperatures are coming up to normal seasonal temperatures around minus 10 so it's gonna be better for traveling yeah cool all right so malin before we get going into some of your uh, soda stuff let's just talk a little bit about you for a minute um, what's, uh, what's your career? What have you been doing the last, uh, 20 or 30 years? Well, I'm a retired, uh, army reserve, uh, sergeant, but I have a regular force pension. So I get a monthly pension. 
I'm currently working in aviation because um, it's, I call it my semi-retirement job. Oh. And uh, What do you do in so aviation? I work at a, uh, at a flight operations base in uh, Calgary at YYC. Uh, I'm just uh, like a ramp, uh, like they call us uh, line service technicians. Dang. So, so it was an outside or inside job? It's outside. Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right. Well, that's pretty cool. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get going here. I think uh, you ha you sent us some slides, right? So let's let's uh, hop yeah. into those and and uh, we'll we'll uh, get into that. Hey, guys in the chat, if you have questions as we go, just let us know. I think I need to s allow you to share here. Let me do that. Okay. Okay, and I'll share the. Uh... <clears throat> The uh, summit ones first. Okay. And can you see that now? Uh, uh, nothing's come up. Doesn't like we're sharing Not screens. Yet. Uh, see, it's not let me. It's not let me allow picking a screen to share. Oops, there we go. Now it goes. There we go. Okay, my name is uh, Mailman Fiddler. I uh, be became a ham about uh, 2008, 2009. Um, first earning my basic with honors, which in Canada means I had um, UHF, VHF, and HF up to uh, 250 watts, but uh, simply as a uh, as a user, not as a uh, in inventor for uh, for like repeaters, stu um, building stuff. So. Shortly after that, I became a uh, advanced. I wrote my advanced because I had a ICOM 703 that just needed a little bit more power. I wanted to build an amplifier, so I wrote my exam for advanced. And shortly after that, I built a, about a hundred watt amplifier for my 703. Cool. So let me ask you real quick, uh, Malin. So mm -hmm. I, um, it sounds like your licensing uh, is quite a bit different from the United States. So do you go in? Uh, and take your exam and uh, hope to get a certain li pri uh, privilege or is it just kind of whatever you whatever you get on the test is where they place you or is it something it's, else uh, um, if you're under I think it's 80% you have VHF UHF privileges if you're over 80% it's called basic with honors and that gives you HF up to uh, 250 watts okay and is there a fee of any type uh, it's been a while but I think it was a one time fee that's like an administration fee by uh, the, the the government. Okay. And so. And what type of t uh, questions? Is it all multiple choice or is it, uh, how does the exam run? Uh, they've changed the exam in the last couple of years. It's, uh, it's being done through uh, Zoom with a voluntary examiner. It's a hundred question, multiple choice, um, based on basic electronics, operating procedures, antennas, and of course, uh, uh, the legislation behind it all. Good. So it sounds in some way similar. Cool. All right. Um, so anyhow, I started uh, SOTA in May 2017 after activating several peaks, and and I actually activated a uh, a man fire lookout. And the guy says, "Well, there's there's a couple guys here last week doing the same thing." So I started looking into it and uh, reached out to a couple of the uh, already guys from Calgary and and did a double activation with the one. So, and in January, as you know, I became a mountain goat. It took me 219 peaks. Um, my average points per peak was 4.6 points. 
So it, it took a while um, to get to where I am today. Yeah, how does that compare? I mean, you said you've been here to Flagstaff, right, before? Yes. Uh, and yeah. so you've hiked a couple, couple of the easier 10-pointers there in Flagstaff. Uh, how do the peaks compare? I mean, how, what's the what's – the, just kind of give us a little little, uh, little compar well, comparison. Um, well, Beacon Hill out yeah. uh, by Williams, Flagstaff area, um, that's about 70 meters lower than a two-pointer here in uh, Alberta. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, <laughs> I, I've done a, a four-pointer that was about 970 meters gain over about five kilometers one way, and that was a four-pointer. Yeah. So, so, so I guess needless to say, the the uh, pointing the point scheme is much uh, different there in Canada and much more difficult. So, when you reach Mountain Goat, you do it. You you it's it's saying something. Yeah, and and generally speaking, we have a small group of uh, like hardcore activators in Alberta here, so. If I would have gone out without ha telling them, I think they would have shot me in my tracks type of thing because um, when I hit the trailhead, there's about already six or eight people hiking up. Um, firewood, uh, some good high-quality scotch, uh, snacks. So it's, it's more of a party uh, uh, celebration than, well, it's still an activation, but it's, it's a very nice way to meet uh, make your gotum. Okay, so you don't just go out there and, and do one real quick and then make it home in, in you know four or five hours. Well, uh, that was my mountain goat. Usually, um, I'm lately about fifty percent doing solo. So, um, for me to get to the closest summit, it's like an hour and a half drive, mm -hmm. and then um, Square Butte is about forty five minutes to an hour up. And, you know, so that's like I said, that one's a little bit taller than uh, Beacon Hill. Wow. Definitely different train than what we have here. <laughs> Your train is nice. It's nice for a change, but you know it's all a beautiful train in my uh, my opinion. Uh, that slide you're looking at is me operating up on uh, Missing Link Mountain, which is a seasonal. Uh, the roads closed about 10, 10 kilometers before it, so from mid May to uh, December, we can get to it. And it's about a uh, about a four kilometer walk one way about I think it's about three hundred meter elevation gain. So it's it's a nice little hike. Um you, you guys talk about bushwhacking and I look at some of your terrain and it's more deserty. Well this is like Alberta bushwhacking. Uh this is going through a area that had a forest fire about four to five years ago. And quite seriously, we're moving about a kilometer per hour for this uh, this activation. Wow. So it, it took a bit. That's me in October, if you can believe that, hiking up a uh, um, another fire lookout that's manned seasonally. Um, we'll, what is it called? Carbondale Hill, down by Crow's Nest Pass, down very southern Alberta. It's only about maybe 50 miles north of the Montana-Canadian-Alberta border. And that was just, uh, you never know what you get into when you, you know, jump in the truck and drive for two hours before you go. Yeah. So this. So, so do you do these in boots primarily, or do you also use other things like snowshoes or, or uh, cross-country skis or anything? I have, from about October to May, I have snowshoes in my truck. Along with a, a bag full of like uh, three ply Gore Tex spare layers, uh, spare gloves. But uh, all depends on what the snow level is. Um, just boots with gaiters on. 
for today, uh, traction aids quite a bit because I've had a couple of uh, pretty good falls on on you know ice underneath the snow, so it's it's handy to have traction aids. Yeah, you, apparently you must know David Seymour. He says, "Ask Malin if we need snowshoes." It's David. I have a shortcut. First of all, his shortcuts aren't short, <laughs> and <laughs> David is the uh, my hiker partner who just got uh, licensed in December. So um, we're it should be a tr no. It's going to be a bushwhack. It's going to be deeper than that, but it's going to be too steep for snowshoes. Okay. Yeah. Let's see here. Let me advance this one. No, it's not advancing. Is that it on that one? Uh, it should be one more or two. I more think here. there's two more slides for it. All right. Maybe you have to unshare and reshare, or is just close it down and. Oh, there it is. There we go. The, you know, you're talking about ridge walks. This is uh, on the left, upper left, is uh, the ridge walk up to Windy Peak. Um, I've been like the winds actually picked me up and throwing me about 15, 20 feet a uh, wind gust. So it's, you know, this is a four pointer down uh, south of about an hour and a half, two hours south of me. It's a nice little walk once you get through the swamp. Um, that was in July, that first picture. The second picture with me kneeling with the soda flag was in October this past fall. And that flag was standing out like that was just not a that's normal wind for that peak. Wow. The summer looks picture looks a lot more inviting. It's a it's a great looking ridge line. <laughs> it, it is. Once you get over the above the tree line, it's a very nice hike up to the up to the summit. This is a square butte. This is where my uh, well, a couple of pictures are from the mountain go day, but the the main one was my first activation of square butte. This is a popular uh, hiking trail, and uh, um, a lot of horses go up there. I was sitting there activating, and I could you know you get this feeling that something's behind you. I turn around and look, and there's a snout from a horse. The, uh, the rider <laughs> snuck up behind me and his uh, girlfriend's back a bit. And she goes, if he jumps up and punches you, I don't blame him. And <laughs> I just, I just sort of laughed. And, but uh, the upper right picture is me activating on my mountain goat day. And the lower picture is uh, uh, David Seymour VE6 uh, DTS and myself uh, having a snack and sharing a little bit of a uh, little bit of scotch. Oh, so uh, two questions. One from me, first of all, uh, somebody said in here, it looks like bear country. So that brought up the question for me. Do you guys carry uh, protection of any type? I'm sure there's brown bears up in that area. No, we have grizzlies and uh, black bear. Uh -huh. uh, between the two, well, you have to respect both of them. But between the two, I really am scared of black bear. Oh. Uh, generally speaking, black bear will attack you to eat you. Well, grizzlies will attack you if you violate their, their personal space. Yeah. So um, I carry bear spray year-round. The only time it comes off my pack is just to check, make sure it's still serviceable. And also, uh, uh, in certain areas, I carry bear bangers as well. What are those? Uh, they're like a, uh, you know, the little pin flares you can shoot up for, yeah. for this. 
it's similar to that, but it only goes up about maybe 30 feet and there's a big bang. Sounds like a shotgun going off above you. Okay, cool. Huh, never heard of those. Huh. Interesting. They're uh, they're illegal in the States. I, uh, I had to throw some out when we were going down to Arizona a year and a half ago. Ah. I got to, got to the border. I realized that they're still uh, still with me, so I just tossed them. All right, so Al Al Cricker, uh, it's K7ULM, says, Hey, Malin, do you have a lot of chasers? I don't think I've ever had a chance t- to log you. Uh, sometimes, like, the weather changes so much, so if I'm up on the summit a little bit too long, I 15, 20, maybe 30. If it, after about uh, 13 to 1,400 hours uh, local time, which is mountain standard time, um, the weather can change fairly quick, so I, generally speaking, try to get off the off the summit before one o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. So, but I'm all, I'm all voice. I'm all sideband. Okay. I haven't mastered the, uh, that's one of my objectives for the future. Yeah. How, how's that? I mean, have you started that yet or, or are you just, it's just kind of a goal you're, you're going to look forward to here. I'm, I'm stuck at it about, uh, um, last time I practiced it, it was seven words per minute or seven characters, I should say at, uh, at, 15 words per minute. Okay. Uh, I think that, okay, so Smoke Signals RF, that's, that's uh, Izzo, who's going to be a guest here in about a month. He says, uh, what antennas uh, do you use? I think that's coming up a little bit later, Izzo. So if uh, he doesn't answer the question for you, then uh, let us know. And also he wants to know about power sources too. So let's make sure we cover those if you don't get to them. Okay. All right, I got another. Okay. This is a picture of my uh, KX2. This is the, my first soda activation uh, uh, kit. On the left, that the green bag is a about a nine foot long uh, avalanche probe, aluminum avalanche probe wow. that I that I use for a mast. Um, I've always used uh, four cell lipo batteries, so there's a voltage reducer, you know, earbuds, one seventy four coax, and a uh, resonant dipole for 20 meters made of uh, um, field foam wire, which is a stainless steel copper uh, wire uh, uh, blend. And it's very, uh, can take the abuse, but you can't really coil it up on a, uh, on a winder. If you do, it has memory and, it, and you can't straighten it out after. So that's my first, uh, my first set on uh, setup. This is what I'm using now. Same KX2. Um, this the first setup was about five, five and a half pounds. This one's down to about just below three pounds. Uh, up top is a uh, infed half wave for just for 20 meters. Uh, s- same type of battery, a, a 2200 milliamp hour four cell lipo. The cable beside it with the uh, blue box on it is a, uh, has two diodes inside it so I can switch it. So when you use a four cell, it's too much voltage to start with the uh, the KX2. So I switch the diodes in. Once the battery gets done, I switch them out. Uh, earbuds, a external uh, speaker. And that thing coiled up is a, a, mic- a microphone from an old, uh, I think it was an old Bofeng and, uh, radio I, I picked up someplace. And it all fits into that uh, water bottle carrying case uh, designed for like a Nalgene one liter bottle. So that's, that's my primary setup right now. Cool. How, how do you, have you weighed it? Do you know how much it weighs? Just below three pounds is like uh, 1300 and some odd grams. Okay. Yeah. So 
I'm getting down in weight bit by bit. Do you, uh, I noticed you, so you have the cover and it looks like you have the, the side mounts and the right uh, and stuff on your KX2. Have you ever had any problems with yours overheating or? I, I did the first uh, summer I was, I was doing, I actually had it overheat a couple of times and it simply resolved. I just put it in the shade, but uh, I thought when I was getting the cover and the, uh, and the, you know, the imp pieces just to get the proper one with the heat seat, heat sink uh, built in. Nice. On the left is when, uh, for the longest time, you know, 12 watts wasn't good enough. Sometimes 20 watts wasn't good enough. So that's one of those uh, little Chinese uh, amplifiers, 50 watt. Um, I go with a, uh, a pouch system for packing stuff. So that's another, uh, that's like a tactical uh, water bottle case. Uh, it carries the, the amplifier, all the extra fittings, the chunk of coax, and I uh, carry another spar uh, spare power cable. On the right is a, um, I think that's a 4,000 milliamp hour four cell lipo that I use to, to run it again with the, uh, with a automatic voltage reducer. Okay. So let's see scout 75. I think that's uh, if I remember right, that's Shane. Um, he says, uh, how long are you typically are your, are your typical hikes? From the trailhead to the summit, how far is your average drive to the trailhead from your home? So you just, you know, obviously you can't do the math and you just, just give a rough estimate of how, what the average is for, and then maybe tell us what your longest has been. My, uh, my average drive is two hours one way and the average hike, it varies. I've, I've done like a 10, 12 kilometer hike one way, which is about six miles. So a couple hours, uh. I think the one I did last summer, uh, Mount Burke, over 900 meter elevation gain, that was both the longest one because I was just by myself. It was over 30 degrees Celsius. So I was just trying to conserve energy and be cautious about uh, not injuring myself. Um, I think that was it. Yeah. This is uh, some of the masks I different use. On the left is a couple of the fishing pole uh, ground holders. I, uh, if it's a short hike, instead of taking out uh, guide ropes and, and strings and pegs and that, I just take one of those and plunk the bottom of the mast into it. And I let my antenna keep the mast upright. And then Dan, I think you know what the first uh, mast is there. Yes, the, much lighter. The, the carbon six. The next one is the uh, soda beams, fiberglass 14 foot uh, mast. It's lighter, but it's not as tall. The next one is it would start off as a 10 meter carbon fiber uh, fishing pole, but it's down to about eight meters now. Then this uh, soda beams tactical mini. And then on the right is the uh, my notorious uh, avalanche probe that uses spends more time as a uh, mass than it does as a probe. So Bob, AC1Z, who we had on as a guest, uh, I don't know, about a month ago, Really mm -hmm. great. It was a really great interview. Uh, he says that he had he's had twenty five chaser contacts and ten summit to summits with you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he's he's one of my uh, between uh, uh, well Martha and uh, and Gary are up there. I think at the top of my list, but Bob is very close to them for being one of my constant uh, contacts. Cool. 
And that that's the, kind of a follow a ways too, because he's over in uh, in the northeast of the uh, United States. That's quite a haul. Yes, yeah. Quite, uh, lately, just twelve watts. He's been giving me like a three three type of signal report, but still, you know, I'm not carrying that extra kilo kilo and a half of uh, amplifier and battery, so it's you know it, it weighs itself out. Uh, the top antenna is a uh, um, got some traps on it. Twenty forty trap dipole. I'm just trying to remember the name of the uh, QRB kits. No, let me look. I have it here someplace. Still looking. Yeah, it's a QRB kits uh, twenty forty trap dipole. Uh, that was my first trap dipole for 2040 and it's it's been repaired a few times but it's still it's still going strong and i still use it uh on summits where i need definitely to put up a mast if there if it's a tree or i got a bush or something i don't use it the bottom left is uh, a 20 meter dipole for the avalanche probe in the 14 footer uh fiberglass mast and on the right is a 20 meter dipole for the uh, the soda beams uh, carbon six, <clears throat> my infids. I, I've been last year. I've been playing around with infids, and I've had some really uh, some luck, some not so lucky adventures. <laughs> the top uh, upper left is a twenty meter uh, half wave infid that tunes uh, fifteen sort of and tunes ten. Um, it's I made it myself. It's got a FT eighty two dash forty three toroid in it. Upper right is is bigger brother the forty meter, which tunes more than I expected. Um, I can get it down to like a two point five on uh, seventeen meters, and it down to about a two three two and a half to three as well on uh, fifty. Uh, excuse me, on twelve as long as you know as well as twenty fifteen and ten. The bottom. Left one is one of those uh, experiments that didn't work out too well. Um, first of all, the wire, I, I, I call that wire devil's hair because it's so small and gets tangled up on stuff. And Yeah, what's the gauge? Uh, it's the 26 gauge uh, poly stealth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's good stuff, but uh, yeah, it does get tangled, doesn't it? <laughs> the reason why I call it devil's wire is because I'm cursing like a devil when I get it all tangled up. And... and the one on the right is the uh, my go-to for the amplifier is to, is resonant on 40 uh 20 15 and 10 and it seems to handle the you know the 40 50 watts very well and again that's another uh, homemade uh contraption cool so i have a few questions on these antennas the first one is the simple question and that is are these uh kite string winders and then and if it, if they are where'd you order them from uh they are kite street kite string winders uh, from soda beams, except for no, they're all soda beams, I think. Okay, so soda beams. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then the other thing is, you've got uh, your transformers. Each of them has a transformer. The two blue ones in the top are those. Are, well, are any of these homebrew, or are all of them homebrew, or what's the what's the? They're deal? they're all homebrew. I've I've been uh, uh, magnet wire is cheap, so I just you know if it's cold out, I just crank up a couple of transformers and test them and. Say well, that didn't work, and try something else. Cool. The, so the two the two top ones actually have a, a chassis mounted male BNC, so it goes. There's no coax, goes right onto the radio. 
so I don't need a coax for it, and it seems to work well, out well with the uh, with the KX2. That's pretty cool. No, no feed line needed, huh? No. That's cool. And and those nice. blue boxes. So where did you get those blue boxes? What are they? They're just from uh, I ordered them from uh, DigiKey. Okay. Uh, same with the uh, the the male BNC chassis mount uh, connectors. All right. That, I think that's uh, all the questions I have. We'll see what else what else is in the chat room here as we go along. Okay. This, uh, the picture on the left is what I carry on the outside of my pack. Uh, thermometer, multi-tool, tick remover, uh, a in-reach, my HT bear spray. I hang off my uh, my my uh, shoulder harness off the off the webbing, so it's not underneath my armpit. I can reach it very fast. On the right and on the left, I hang a, a SIG insulated uh, bottle carrier, and I just carry like a, a simple uh, bicycle water type bicycle type water bottle for fluids on the move. On the right is everything that I basically carry inside the main compartment. The piece up top is actually like a windshield windshield reflector. It's uh, uh, reflective on both sides and has a thin amount of insulation in it, so it doubles as a splint. A seating pad. I've actually slept on it once. Then I carry like a, a more uh, power bars, first aid kit, survival kit, space blankets. Um, you can see the my extended doubles up is always in the bag, along with a chunk of coax. And yeah. a, I was just going to ask you. Speaking of the extended doubles up on the right and the <laughs> uh, and the radio on the left, how? Tell us about your if you have, if weren't planning on it. Tell us about uh, your FM, your your two meter FM, or basically your UHF VHF contacts. How how many do you get? How reliable is that? I've actually had summits where uh, um, I've gone up and just said, you know, I also carry uh, the MFJ uh, Long Ranger, the half wave infrared collapsible. But I've had times where it wasn't performing, so I got the extended double zap out. Uh, my furthest contact was 272 kilometers, which is about 170 miles, wow. right around r roughly. Um, my normal contacts with the with the MFJ or the extended double zap is easily 60 to 100 miles. Hmm. I don't. Uh, sometimes I go up, and if I can activate VHF, I activate VHF, and. Uh, you know, have a snack and go home type of thing. But if I, you know, if the weather's good, I'll just head out with, uh, uh, you know, set up my my HF as well and, and activate with HF. Mm. On the left is everything in my top pocket of my uh, of my pack: sunscreen, glasses, uh, a survival uh, bivy bag, headlamp, spare key to the truck compass you know stuff you need you know you might need real quick is there on the right is uh, the stuff i carry in my truck pretty well year round um three ply cortex uppers lowers insulated uh uh shell um uh soft shell tarp another bivy bag you know a, a solid fuel stove spare gloves stuff like that so that's well, have, you, have, have you used a bivy bag before on a summit? 
Have I used it? No, I have a Bathy bag as well. I mean Bathy bag. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Yes, it's 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 in my pack all the time. Though it's like green pouch, uh-huh. and I find it really, uh, it it really gets warm fast, and it gets you out of the wind. I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure about you, but I know my hands get a little bit uh, finicky after getting quite cold. So oh yeah, I think all yeah. of us here have, have experienced that, especially yeah. doing CW. Yep. Uh, I, it looks like, you know, your gear, especially this thing on the right, you know, all the clothes and the gloves and the hats. Believe it or not, I actually do the same thing. I have a duffel bag, and I keep rain gear in it, and I keep uh, warm clothes in it, and, and, you know, a beanie and all that stuff like that. Even in the summertime, I switch it out. Uh, I don't carry the snow pants in there in the, in the uh, summer, and I switch it out for, like, a few other things. But for the most part, yeah, year-round I do too as well because – Sometimes the weather, even in Arizona, it's not like there, obviously, but but uh, you'll get a you know a thunderstorm or something like that, or the, and the temperature can change really quick. So I do kind of the same thing, keep it in my truck, and then I always have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've started to do the same thing because it's it's always nice, you know, when you get to the base of the mountain, you can kind of take one last look at the the weather and then decide, hey, do I need to do I need to take a hat or a pair of gloves with me today or not? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wool, wool hat and gloves are, are a must. They're always in my bag. And I even keep, um, in the summer months, I have a pair of uh, rain pants that I keep in the bag to give to for the legs in case I get stuck out overnight or something just to add some more uh, insulation. It's pretty easy to get yourself into a situation where you don't want to be in. And it's good to have the stuff to make it out alive type of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I would imagine that it's the weather change, especially get to be around August or something. You could just about bet you'll you could get caught in in a cold situation pretty easily there. Um, we had one May, a year and a half ago, so May twenty nineteen. Myself and another activator were activating in one of the summits. Um, nice sunny, about you know six seven degrees uh, uh, Celsius at home. Hit the trailhead. There's snow. Got up into the up on top of the summit, and we had to put all that stuff on just to stay warm. It was, you know, about a foot of fresh snow. Wow! So that's pretty extreme. <laughs> yeah. Well, if does it uh, snow in this in in early May here? It does happen. Yep. Yeah. Uh, as uh, if you haven't figured out yet, I like to play around with the tennis because it's a cheap fun pastime and um all the other soda activators in uh, in alberta pretty well benefited from my uh my playing so if you could just start going through it please dan what, i had a quick question so when you are playing with new antennas and toroids and stuff what do you like to use to uh to uh test with your your uh, designs and your I, I um i have in a two uh, rig expert antenna analyzers one is uh, the stick which is more geared for going up on mountains and i got the aa230 zoom so i like to you know actually get them outside and it's in the side yard and actually test them um first that way and then if they work better then take them up on a on a summit during an activation and test it great this is a uh um a two element vhf i made uh the 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 elements are actually a TIG aluminum uh, rod because you can buy, you know, a pound of TIG uh, rod for, you know, about $10, $12 for us. 
and it's just all put together with uh, uh, banana clips, banana plugs and that. And it, it works well, but this I found works about the same as an extended double zap. So in my mind, why carry all the extra weight and fit around with it? Just, you know, I try to keep my activation simple. So the top picture is it assembled, ready to uh, use. The bottom picture is it and packed up in the, uh, in the carrying uh, transport position. So, Yeah, banana jacks and, and uh, banana clips are a good way to do that. Uh, quick and easy to assemble and disassemble and, and uh, they, you know, conduct well and everything. I mean, they're used in test gear all the time. So that's a, that's a good way to put them together. I find it's very inexpensive. I was looking for a cheap way too, so I don't spend too much money on a, on a project. Uh, Charlie, that should look familiar to the upper one. It does. Uh, that, you know, I, I was just bored and it's like, oh, I, you know, I think everyone that wanted an extended double zap has one from around the Alberta area. So it's like, well, I'll just make one for Charlie and send it down to him. See what he thinks of it. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I love it. It's it. I, I was, I was so appreciative that you offered. And when it came in the mail, I was so impressed with the, like I was telling you earlier, so impressed with the craftsmanship. It was very well made. And I, I didn't realize how much gain those things have. They're great. Uh, see, my first one, like that that link I sent you, recommends a one-to-one -one balance. So I, you know, made one with a one-to-one -one balance. Well, that defeats the purpose, or the you know, or the thoughts of something quick, light, and easy to pack. So I try to like have it end fed from the bottom, just having the uh, the ladder line as like a, a tuning snub, and it had the same you know on-air test, but the same as a rubber duck. So it's like I scrapped it for a while. And then uh, Adam, K6ARK, I saw him mentioning it. So I said, did you, you know, I looked at his video. Then I, I said, did you feed it from the center? He goes, yeah. So I tried it from the center with no uh, ballon. I had to adjust the length of the window, uh, the ladder line a little bit. But uh, they seemed to work out very well after that. Yeah, Adam mentioned it. Uh, well, first of all, I, I used it on this on the last activation there we were talking about with Brian on Kentuck. I, I put it out there, so check out that video if you want to see it in action. But yeah, it worked out great. And then Adam, he was in the chat and he said, hey, do you know where uh, where Malin got his plans from or, or where he got his design? And and of course, I didn't know, but I reached out to you and later told him that it was uh, partly his his design and partly uh, just from measurements off of uh, Western Mountain, right? Right, off Western Mountain, bro. I found... When you take the ballon off, I, I start with the, the, you know, the wire is about six inches longer than keep on trimming them back, trimming them back until I get resonance for it. Cool. The, uh, the bottom three pictures are, you know, the bottom left one is just like, that's totally from Adam. I made one uh, uh, that's a 49, well, I said about 64 to one uh, transformer fixed to a, a B and C. I made one for one of our only uh, CW activator last summer. He liked it. And over Christmas time, it's like, well, where, you know, okay, I made one. Maybe it was a fluke. Maybe I better make another one. So I made it. It's like, okay, what am I going to do with it now? And then I uh, started researching uh, uh, traps. And I've, I've you know, looked at Adam's video and I looked at a couple other websites. And so there's uh, bottom left is a 64 to 1. Center is a 20 meter trap, and the right is the uh, is a 30 meter trap. So I had some of that uh, devil's hair left over, so I 
made up and tuned everything up. And then my, uh, my analyzer didn't like minus 18 weather. So I, I said, the heck with it. My hands are cold. I wrapped it up and sent it off someplace warmer. That's pretty cool. That's my uh, current uh, project. That is a, uh, a type uh, FT43 transformer that I'm going to hopefully get on the end of a BNC connector. I've read reports where that transformer is good enough for handling 20 watts uh, sideband. So I'm thinking, you know, hopefully 12 watts uh, of my KX2 will work out well. I got enough of the uh, devil's hair again to have a, uh, a simple, light, super lightweight, uh, 20 meter infed half wave. So I, that's my second attempt at trying to get it onto uh, a BNC connector. So that's, that's an ongoing struggle. Do you out just see, remember off the top of your head what uh, kind of toroid that is? Um, it's, they don't specify like it's not like an FT whatever. I got the dimensions. It's uh, got through DigiKey. It's like a dollar five a piece, so okay. they're cheap. So it's okay. Um, it's about a half inch long, about nine sixteenths outside diameter, and three eighths inside diameter. Hmm. If you want, Charlie, I can send you the. Uh, yeah, it, it, I think it's a fair rate uh, toroid, so they're a fairly common company. Okay. So I'll send you the the, the DigiKey uh, uh, link after. Sure. Okay. Uh, That's the end of the slides uh, with that one. Yep. <clears throat> oh, okay. That's all the slides. Cool. All right. Well, we have what forty five minutes left. Um, I mean, 20, 20 uh, 15 minutes left. We went 45 minutes. So oh, let me, let me, oh no, that's good. That's, that's great. I've, I was really enjoying it. So let's let, uh, Brian, Brian and, and Dan ask any follow-up questions in the, in the chat room. And then I have a few other things. So let's go with it. So, uh, Malin, I, you were saying you work at the, uh, the FBO there in, um, in, in Calgary. Do you see any wheels up planes come through? Uh, no. Okay. There, yeah. there, there's five FBOs there. So, oh, okay. I've only been into Calgary once with work, but wondering if I'll get to run into you someday when I when I do go through there because I I fly for wheels up. We got the the blue and white uh, tailed airplanes. We're a private company, right? Our uh, FBO, like uh, we're a twenty four seven organization. So um, the reason why we're that we're the only one in Calgary is twenty four seven because we have two uh, air ambulance helicopters. Okay, on on permanent standby. So. Yeah, we usually when we go into like Ontario or some of the um, the the airports on, out east, we usually go to uh, Sky Service over there. They're right across the field from us. Okay, that's probably where we're going there. Then I'm trying to. It's been a number of years since I've been there. Yeah. So um, you mentioned that you'd been down to uh, Arizona for a couple of summits on the air activations. Have you uh, been other places uh, in the U.S. for activations as well? Uh, a couple of spots in uh, Montana so far. Um, we were going to head down last fall for a month, but COVID sort of uh, canceled that by plan. I've been, uh, um, well, since we're on the prairies, I've been over to, you know, almost a day drive to Manitoba. Uh, myself and another activator, Ken, we drove over, activated, uh, we bicycled about nine and a half kilometers one way, activated a, a summit. Bicycle back out, load the bikes up, drove another hour to the next summit, camp for the night, activated it, 
and two more that day and drove almost back home again. So it would have been like a 48 hour round trip. Wow. You know, when I was looking at uh, Sodalas as well, I noticed, uh, you know, I was noticed looking in, in your area and uh, you're right close to the spine of the mountains there. And, and uh, it's amazing the number of soda peaks that are there. So it, it's, you can really imagine why uh, the terrain is so, so much higher there and, and vastly different than it is here in Arizona. But I would imagine probably late spring, early summer is probably, probably the best time up there as far as weather wise and, and views and stuff. Pretty much so. Like if you're going to come up, uh, try to get up on the summit, uh, you know, 1130, 12 o'clock and, and by two o'clock, if you're not off, you might uh, get the afternoon weather picking up and uh, blowing you off type of thing. Yeah, we get that, and uh, especially like in the Flagstaff area and stuff like that during monsoon season, you want to be off the mountain by around one o'clock. You're liable to see a lot more activity than what you want. But and we also have a lot of fires and stuff down here. How's uh, how's that in up in your neck of the woods up there? Uh, we have fires, but not that bad. We get a lot of smoke from other areas. Uh, three years ago, it was actually bad to a point where. You, you know, they're given uh, air quality advisories not going outside. You know, it's um, upper, like the upper, upper northwest of uh, the U.S., uh, lower British Columbia mainland, that area, all the smoke blowing towards us. Yeah, quick one. How does, that, how does land access work up there with different, the different uh, plots, you know, private, public, uh, the, I'm assuming the, the provincial and, uh, and national parks how do those all work there we're, we're, in alberta we're fortunate most of the uh, mountains are uh, are either national or provincial either preserves or, or parks uh, there is a few that are on uh, reserve land so we just uh, don't even bother with that but uh, you know we're very fortunate compared to other uh, other locations for that any kind of special permits required for any of the mountains or is it pretty much just stay on the trail and or find your way up to the top how does how does the navigation work the, the um there's a series of hiking books that you could all the maps are online so you know we could download the map and, and try to follow the trail um i've bushwhacked quite a bit uh, along with a couple other uh activators but uh overall it's, it's you know we like i said we've been very fortunate for uh, access and and getting into places Cool. All right. Well, um, we got about eight, nine minutes left. Uh, let me go over a couple things here. Let me do this one. Uh, you guys hopefully can see that. It'll come up in just a minute. There's kind of a delay, so you won't see it for a second. But um, with you guys in the chat anyway won't. I mean, not in the chat. You guys in the uh, in the uh, Zoom. But this is a website for KB1 HQS. He's the amateur radio operator in uh, back east who just mm. barely got his goat and so we want to congratulate him he's he does a lot of great things for not only for ham radio in general he's wrote a book and, and he's uh, worked with the AR, ARRL on a few things but he's also great with uh, soda and so this is his web website I actually am probably going to try to get him on here sometime soon and, and talk to him as well but uh, just congratulations to him and so we'll move that back off from you guys. The other thing is, um, I wanted to ask you, Malin, what's your favorite peak? 
<laughs> comes down with the two um, square butte and also another one called hailstone butte. Uh, I when I get visitors from Ontario out, I take them up Hail, hailstone butte. It's about uh, about a mile hike with about three hundred and about a thousand feet. I guess you're uh, you know about 330, 400 meter. 340 meter, uh, I should say, uh, elevation gain. And it's got really good views um, of the Rockies to the west and the prairies to the east. Cool. Nice. I, I was kind of curious and like to ask this question quite often, but um, for people who are just beginning, you know, just got their ham radio license and they have, they kind of seen this sort of thing a little bit. Um, what would you suggest would be the, the first thing to do or the um, most important thing to know about soda to, to get started with? I would say uh, don't rush out and buy a whole bunch of uh, uh, gear. If you can, just go out with another activator and watch them and you know possibly use their gear and uh, um, basically go from there and you know buy once buy wisely type of thing. So, that's, that's good, great advice. I, I went out and, and I bought a bunch of gear right away, you know, so I was lugging an 857 up for several years and, and I kind of wish that I would have went out with uh, Brian and Charlie and stuff before I actually uh, purchased gear. And uh, uh, I probably would have made a little bit different choices. Not that my choices were necessarily bad. They worked out fine, you know, for the time I was using them, but uh uh, it's always good to experience different types of equipment and, and see what's out there. And, and then you can kind of decide what you like and what fits your style of operation best. Definitely. Yeah. So Malin, um, you may or may not know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it since you have kind of experience in it. So if I, an American were to go to, to meet up with you in Canada and do a joint activation with you, what would I have to do as far, I'm an, I'm an amateur extra here in the United States. So what would I have to do to ensure that I activated legally? Uh, uh, for ham radio wise, like Canada, the U.S. has a, um, basically we'll, we'll see your qualifications. So you just have to use the suspects to what province you're in. So we have that reciprocity agreement of sorts and, and yes, and so I would, but I would have to make sure I put a, a, a suffix on something on the end of my call sign, the the province, I guess you said. Yes, or uh, or is it in front? It, it, it's either front or behind. I'll have to okay. double check this. You know, probably it's we have it in front. At least that's my experience over in Europe. We got to put it on the front side. Yeah, so it'd be like K. It'd be like VE six stroke NJ seven V stroke P, probably right. Right. And do you have to use the, in, in uh, Canada, do you have to put the stroke P on the end or, or is it optional like it is here in the United States? I, um, legally, I think it's there, but not too many people use it. I, uh, I personally don't use it because uh, I find with the, uh, with the uh, soda watch sometimes, I, uh, you know, you're up on top of the mountain trying to plug it into your phone and and uh, I have a tendency to forget about it. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think we're getting close to time. I, we did, we lost a little bit of time on the front end because of my my faux pas with the uh, with the audio stuff. Sorry about that, guys. But uh, we're we're getting pretty close. Let's. Uh, is, is there anything else, Dan or Brian, that you want to 
ask or go over, uh, even if it's an unrelated topic here real quick? I, I actually do, since we were kind of chatting about this earlier. What, uh, what, what's your common frequency that you use in uh, Canada for VHF FM calling? Uh, 146.52. Okay. Do you want to go ahead, Brian, and talk a little bit more about that? Well, yeah, it's, I guess this would be more for the chat. Um, for everybody that's uh, that's watching, um, throw in the chat what you guys commonly use. We've, we're, we're kind of experimenting with some ideas out here to um, expand our spectrum a little bit. And um, we've seen some posts in social media about 14658 becoming a thing. So what, what are you guys using? Go ahead and throw it in the chat and let us know. Yeah, because I, I don't know about you guys in Canada but or in other parts of the country, but uh, I really think it's a good idea. Some people are, are for it, some against it, but this, uh, what is it, the adventure frequency, they call it, or something like that? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that seems to be the tar the tar phrase that's been coined when I see, do see the posts about it on social media. Yeah, the point is to, to kind of move off of 146.520, which is the national calling frequency, and have a frequency that's kind of like we do in, in on HF that's kind of known for soda, op soda or portable ops, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, throw that in there. And then uh, let me just go ahead and go over a few more things before we wrap it up. <clears throat> I, I did congratulate Stu, and so we'll try to get him on here sometime soon. Um, coming up for me uh, is Harquahalla Mountain. I'm going to go ahead and go with uh, Alex. Uh, he's a, he's a I wouldn't call him a, a good friend, but an acquaintance at least. Uh, and we're going to we're gonna do that. Uh, he's gonna. He's a. He's in a, the Jeep club here in the, in the Phoenix area, and so that summit I think requires a Jeep. So I'm gonna hop in with him, and he's gonna take me up there, and we're gonna activate that. I think. Uh, yeah, this Friday, and then uh, following that, the following weekend, I'm gonna go out with uh, the the tech prepper. You can look up his his uh, webs his uh, YouTube channel. Um, he's he and I are gonna do a joint activation up in Flagstaff somewhere. And the next. Uh, uh, all portable discussion zone, uh, which is in two weeks, uh, five o'clock Mountain Standard, same every every two weeks right here. Uh, the next episode is going to be about batteries, in particular, hopefully portable ops batteries, but not necessarily just exclusively about that. We have two guests coming on. One of them is Dennis. You probably know him, uh, 86DM from Handem Thoughts, and he's actually going to record his podcast simultaneously. Uh, as we're we're doing this uh, episode and we're also going to have on Mike K8MRD he's from K8MRD Radio Stuff you probably know him well he's he's the guy that's always out doing pump parks on the air so they'll both be on as our guests as we talk about batteries in two weeks 5 p.m. so I hope you can join us for that last thing I, I have ordered a bunch of stickers and I and, I, and I've done that to kind of it should get uh, you guys maybe to help out a little bit with the channel to make sure we keep the uh, YouTube channel ad free. So uh, it's kind of a thing where if you can donate two to three, two three dollars, actually it's, I think it's I put it at three dollars or more. At some point, then we'll send you a sticker. It's just a, a way instead of you know getting those those ads that we get on YouTube. I'm gonna avoid that if I can at all possible. So it's a different way to make sure that we can keep this channel ad free. Uh, so check that out in the in the notes on uh, my videos. And uh, with that, let's uh, let's go around real quick and, and uh, let everybody else kind of let us know what, we're, what, you, what you guys got coming up and, uh, and say your goodbyes, and then we'll uh, end this thing. So let's go with Dan. All right. Uh, hopefully planning for uh, this coming up weekend, I'm going to do a quick uh, local summit, Usury Mountain. So I got a new uh, uh, 
antenna mast here to try out. So I'm anxious to get that out on a mountain and uh, give that a whirl. Okay. Uh, Brian? Let's see. Um, I've got uh, my, hopefully my final appointment with the orthopedic surgeon on Tuesday and we'll be released back to normal operation after that, even though I've been kind of trucking along as is. And I'm going to try and get on a summit this week and keep chasing that uh, top band DX while I'm sitting at home in between chasing uh, activators during the day. All right. And Malin, we really appreciate you coming. Uh, and uh, I'm sure the people in the chat enjoy it as well. And there'll be people watching later. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this, coming on. I, I've really enjoyed our, our, uh, our discussion. It's been great. And uh, so any last parting thoughts from you? Nope. Uh, thank you very much for having me. And uh, hopefully we can get some more people involved in uh, SOTA, uh, regardless of where they are. Yeah. Good enough. Absolutely. All right, I agree with that. Okay, everybody in the chat, we'll, uh, we appreciate you guys being here as well. We'll catch you guys all later. You guys who are watching later on, thank you for, for coming and visiting. And so we'll see you in two weeks right here. Uh, thank you, everybody. 73. 73. Bye, everybody.